Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 770th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. I just planted this tree and I really don't know what to do. It's a one-year tree and it's only uh, a half of an inch in caliper and it's six feet tall. And I'm like, cut it back to 18 or 24 inches. And people freak out. They don't want to do that. They're totally intimidated by making that cut when that is by far the most important pruning decision you will ever make on that tree. Tom Spellman has been involved in the nursery business since 1973. At that time, he was a freshman in high school and rode his skateboard to work. Since then, he has worked for several nurseries, including Laverne Nursery, where he was a general manager for 20 years. And currently, he is the Southwestern Sales Manager for Dave Wilson Nursery. Dave Wilson Nursery is the largest grower of fruit, nut, and shade trees in the USA. They grow over 10 million trees per year and ship wholesale worldwide. Over the past 20 years, Tom has done television, video, radio, written, and conducted workshops and lectured on the concepts of backyard orchard culture and fruit growing in general. Tom's dedication and passion for quality fruit growing has taken him to dozens of states in the USA, as well as several countries around the globe to consult and lecture on fruit trees and growing concepts. Today, he's going to be talking about and digging deeply into what is backyard orchard culture. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from the Urban Farm in the heart of Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm really excited today. We have Tom Spellman. Tom is a longtime friend of mine, and he has been in the nursery industry for over 45 years and uh, working for Dave Wilson Nursery for just coming up on his 20th anniversary. So welcome, Tom. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Greg. It's always a pleasure to, to work with you on the projects. You know, you're, um, yeah. you're such an inspiration to gardening in the desert. I, I just uh, can't. Thank you enough for having me. Well, thank you. Thank you. I always love our conversations. So you guys at Dave Wilson Nursery, somebody came up with a few years ago, something called 
backyard orchard culture. And it's this whole methodology by which you plant and manage fruit trees. So that's what we're going to talk about today is backyard orchard culture. And let's just start with maybe a brief definition. What is it? Backyard orchard culture is a concept. And um, it's not necessarily technique because there are so many variables that people can use to gear things towards their own gardening projects and procedures. But basically for me, backyard orchard culture encompasses three different things. Number one, people should consider size controlling their trees to a size that's manageable for them. And I've been accused in the past of telling people that they should keep their trees to a specific size. But in fact, I've never done that. I've I've always told people, you need to decide what a manageable size is for you. And that's the size you should be willing to manage your tree at. And and there's a lot of variables there, depending on when the fruit ripens, how long does the fruit hang on the tree. For example, for my purposes, if it's a stone fruit that's only going to ripen over a two or three or four week period, I want that tree low enough so that I can reach every piece of fruit from the ground. I don't want to have to climb a ladder. I don't want to have to get out a pole pruner. I don't want to have to climb up in the tree anymore. So for me, a peach, a plum, an apricot is going to be a tree that I'm going to manage at about seven and a half or eight feet. Now, for me, if it's um, something like an avocado, I have a totally different philosophy. That's a tree where I'm looking for more fruit, and I'm, I'm getting a much longer hang time. I'm not talking about two to four weeks. I'm talking about two to four to six or even eight months. So mm. for an avocado tree, I can easily manage it at 15 feet and go out with a 10-foot pole and a basket picker and get all the fruit I want on Sunday morning to use for the next five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 days. So I don't mind managing a 15-foot avocado tree. I'm not going to manage a 15-foot plum tree. But that, so that again, that's, that's everybody's individual decision. They need to decide what's manageable for them, choose a size, and accept the responsibility of managing the tree at that size. That's concept one. Before you go past that, so sure. av- avocados are non-starters here in the Valley. I, I, I totally get that. So, I'm just using it as an example. I got it. But the same could be applied for citrus, though, correct? Absolutely. So Absolutely. We can go 15, Lemons, 20. grapefruit. Yeah. Sure. He's easily managed. Uh, and I do have a lemon tree that's about 12 feet and a couple of uh, grapefruit and oranges and mandarins and things that are probably in that 10-foot range. So uh, I, I totally agree citrus are in that same category. Got it. Perfect. So number two is choose what you like and what you will use. You want varieties that are, are going to um, lend into your daily culinary lifestyle. You want things that, that you enjoy. I've had examples over the years that pe- uh, people who have planted things and then decided five or six or seven years down the road that that wasn't really what they wanted. So now you've invested five years worth of time, five years worth of irrigation and management to, to, to decide that that really isn't something that you wanted in the first place. So sometimes you can graft that variety over to something else. More often than not, you're going to have to pull that whole tree and start with something fresh. Choose varieties that are adaptable to your area and your climate. If I was doing this lecture in your area, Phoenix, Arizona, we'd be talking about early season varieties. We'd be talking about Things, uh, stone fruits and, and palm fruits that don't hang on the tree late into the season because of your summer 
heat stress. But if I was doing this in um, Billings, Montana, I'd have a totally different perspective on what's going to ripen well and what's going to do well in the area. You always want to make sure that you're taking climate adaptability into consideration for your varieties, geographic adaptability for your rootstock. You want rootstocks that are going to thrive in, in your soil and your climate as well. So I guess that's probably the second most important concept to backyard orchard culture is grow what you like and what you'll use, grow varieties that are adaptable to your climate and your geography. Cool. And number three? So number three is pretty simple. You want to make sure that you are growing varieties that are successive ripening. A commercial grower, for example, would want to harvest all of this fruit at one time. They may be growing 50 acres of Lagrand nectarines. So they're going to come in with people, trucks, trailers, equipment, ladders. They're going to pick all that fruit at one time and they're going to send it to the wholesale market. They're going to wash it. They're going to grate it. They're going to pack it and they're going to ship it all out and the farmer gets his paycheck. That's what the commercial farmer is looking for, getting all that fruit ripe at one time. Now, a backyard grower, on the other hand, doesn't have a commercial expectation of what that tree is going to produce for them. But what they want is a little bit of fruit all the time. They want successive ripening throughout an extended season. So, and that, that again is going to vary greatly depending on the geographic area in, in the country. You know, in, in my area, I can harvest something out of my yard every day of the year, probably in your area under most conditions. You can do similar, but maybe not through that hottest part of summer when your physical stress is just a little bit too, too strong. And, and the, most of those fruit varieties hanging on the tree aren't going to do well at 115 or 120 degrees. Right. So, you know, you do have kind of a, a period during that mid to late summer when you're probably not going to harvest a whole lot unless you're really, really able to protect. If I was growing again in, in Billings, Montana. I'm going to have a period from, from fall all through winter into spring where I'm not going to be able to harvest much of anything. It's just too cold. So mm -hmm. completely different from, from your climate, but they're going to have a period of at least six months when they're not going to be able to harvest much of anything. So what you want to do is you want to choose varieties that are, again, adaptable to your geography and adaptable to your climate and get the most out of your backyard garden space. You want to be able to harvest as much as you can throughout the season that is uh, adaptable for um, fruiting trees in your area. So let's talk a little bit more about successive ripening while we're here. One of the bundles that we have available for peaches is the desert gold peach, which is an amazing peach. And then in the middle, we have tropic snow or Suaze swirl. And then at the end of the successive ripening, we have the mid pride peach. So that's peaches for us about mid-May, to the end of June. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So tell everybody, just explain what successive ripening means in layman's terms, let's say. Well, one variety after another. If you're going to grow peaches, you want to be able to harvest from the earliest part of the season to the latest part of the season that's adaptable to your geographic area. So for you, you're looking at early season varieties. You want early to mid-May to be your first variety. You want an early June variety or late May variety. You want that mid-June to late June variety. So with three different varieties in your area, 
you have one and a half to two months worth of successive ripening peaches. That's basically the concept right there. You want to be able to uh, adapt into your area with varieties that'll give you fruit over an extended period of time. And in turn, you're not looking for a commercial expectation. A commercial grower of peaches in the San Joaquin Valley in California is expecting to get somewhere between 250 and 350 pounds of peaches off of each tree. Wow. So again, take into consideration a two-week window for, for your harvest season, for your hang time. How many people actually have use for 300 to 500 peaches in a two to three week period of time. Now, if you're a master preserver and mm -hmm. you're going to either dehydrate or you're going to can freeze fruit, I mean, you can absolutely extend out your season by doing some of those things. And maybe you want a big expectation of fruit. But if you're like me, basically what I do is eat fresh fruit. My wife's an attorney. She doesn't spend a lot of time in the kitchen. I like to go out and work on my trees and pick fruit and eat fruit out in the garden, bring some things into the house for the family. And, and that's good for me. So if I get 50 fruit or 75 fruit off of an individual variety over a two or three week period of time, that's enough for me, my family, and for me to be able to give some away. There seems to be this obsession with how much fruit can I get mm -hmm. until people realize <laughs> how much fruit they can get. Right. And at that point, it's like, what do I do with all this? Yeah. So yeah. don't be afraid to knock on your neighbor's door. Don't be afraid to donate some fruit to a local food bank. I actually have a group coming in this morning that will be picking three fourths of the fruit on my real red grapefruit tree. Even with eating a couple, two or three, four grapefruit a week, there's no way I can even make a dent in the amount of fruit that that tree produces. So I give away three fourths of it every year, along with a lot of the other fruit that I grow. So, yeah. you know, make sure it's not going to waste. Make sure you're making good use of the fruit, whether it's donating it or whether it's you know, knocking on the neighbor's door or having your cousin come over and, and help to harvest or preserving, canning, doing things like that. Because if you grow a large size tree or even a medium sized tree, you're probably going to have more fruit than you really know what to do with. Right. Well, and a standard size tree can easily be 20 feet in diameter and 20 feet tall, right? If you let it, yes. If, if we let it, exactly. If you let it. So what we're doing in uh, backyard orchard cultures, we're doing something called high density planting. So that same space can house more trees. Can you talk more about that? Absolutely. So um, you, you talked about your three varieties, desert gold, sausage swirl, or tropic snow mid pride, mm -hmm. all excellent varieties. They're going to give you that extended harvest. Now, if I was going to grow one commercial size tree and get that 250 to 350 pounds of fruit, I could expect to take up an area of probably somewhere between three and four or even 500 square feet. Right. But now let's consider this. I can take all three of those varieties or four varieties, all four of those varieties, and I can plant them and on close spacing in that same three to four or 500 square feet. So now I'm only using the footprint of one commercial size tree or even smaller than that. And I'm able to successive harvest out of that area, these three or four varieties. So instead of getting all that fruit in two or three weeks out of the space of one tree, now I'm getting that fruit over a one and a half or two months off that same footprint. So yeah. that's, that's what high density planting is. 
And one of the other options that um, you'll often find is our multi-budded trees where they have those three or four or five varieties grafted onto one tree. And those are always going to be, for the most part, successive ripening combinations mm -hmm. so that you'll get that fruit over an extended period. I like multi-budded trees because we're the largest grower of multi-budded trees in the country. And I am a commissioned salesman, so <laughs> they, they fit right into my lifestyle as far as a sales rep. But quite frankly, I really like the ability to be able to select the varieties that I want. Right. And that means multi-planting. So you're putting those varieties that you've selected into that space that you've dedicated to it. The, the concept of multi-planting to me is really more appealing than, than a multi-grafted tree. Well, and you can also plant these trees in interesting ways. So the, that's a peach hedge where I plant them like five or six feet apart. I've done that with citrus and mulberries as well. So talk about the different ways we can actually plant these trees. Well, the sky is the limit. You know, this is not, again, this is not commercial agriculture. This is backyard orchard culture. And I don't really want my backyard to look like a commercial orchard. Mm -hmm. So I, I like the fact that we can now use fruit trees in other ways. We can use fruit trees for function in the yard. A hedge is a great example. You can grow a, a citrus hedge and put 10 varieties in 30 feet or 40 feet. And now you've got a screen, a functional hedge that you can use to block something or screen something. And you're also going to be able to harvest 10 varieties of fruit out of what you only really intended to be a hedge. So backyard orchard culture is kind of going out of the box. It's, it's using things to your advantage in the landscape for form, for function, for beauty. Nothing is more beautiful or, or more fragrant than a citrus hedge when it's in bloom in the springtime and you have varieties like Meyer lemon and things that will bloom for literally six to eight months out of the year. Nothing uh, to me is more beautiful than peaches in bloom in the springtime. The beautiful reds and the beautiful pinks, double flowers, they'll give you bloom for three or four weeks. And that's spectacular. You know, I, I find myself bringing in sprigs off of my blooming peach trees in the springtime when they're in bloom, thinking, well, I've got two or three branches here and I need to thin it anyway. So I'm going to take one or two out of that fork and I'm going to bring those in and let my wife use them for a floral display in the house. I mean, it's a beautiful display. Consider fall colors. Even in your area, even in Phoenix, Arizona, when you have things like peaches and apricots, you're going to get some decent fall color. Right. And that's absolutely beautiful. I mean, when you get those bright golden yellows and those oranges and even some varieties that go into reds and give you that fall color. So there's a lot of advantage of being able to use fruit trees, not only for fruit, but for form, for function and for beauty in your landscape. Gotta love that. And a big piece of backyard orchard culture is not being intimidated by pruning. And one of the things I want to talk about, so when, when the trees arrive to us in January from you guys, we have to prune them back a significant amount. And that has a tendency to freak people out. We're pruning their trees back significantly. And what I'd like for you to do is explain why it's important to prune them back and then why it's important to uh, continue to keep them pruned back. The thing that you have to consider is when you're working with a bare root tree, like you are in during the winter months, mm -hmm. 
we're growing a, a one-year tree or a two-year tree, and we're trying to put some sort of a scaffold branching structure on it. And when we dig that tree, we're very limited as to the amount of root system that we can actually dig out of the ground. Mm-hmm. So more often than not, the root system that we're going to be able to harvest for those trees is going to be about 18 inches in diameter, where when you look at the overall size of the tree, it might be four feet, five feet, six feet with a, with a well-balanced feathered head on it. But now you have to take this into consideration. How much ability does that small root system have to actually push out the structure of that tree? So what, what you want to look for when you're growing a, a first year bare root tree is you want to balance between the scaffold and the root system. So I'm going to make sure if I'm planting a bare root tree, that's a two year tree that has scaffold branching on it, that I'm going to take that scaffolding structure back down to either the size of, of the root system that the, the tree is providing, or even more aggressive than that. If I'm going to plant a one year tree, which is what we would usually call a whip tree, it doesn't have much branching on it. It's just a rootstock, a graft, and a, and a single stem that might go up four, five, six feet. So what I want to consider with a, with a whip tree, with a one-year tree, is where do I actually want it to begin to branch? And for backyard orchard culture purposes, we want a low branch tree. So on a whip tree, I'm going to prune that back down to about 18 inches to 24 inches above the graft. And I'm going to regrow my structure from that low point on the trunk. So there's this perception in the retail garden center business that bigger is better. Mm -hmm. So if I were to take a couple of uh, whip trees and plant them up into a five gallon container, and I pruned one or two of them back down to 18 inches, and I left one or two of them at four feet or five feet or six feet tall, the average customer is going to come in and look at that tree and say, well, they're both the same price. So I'm going to take the bigger tree because the, the perception of value is there. I'm getting more for my money. When in fact, that's a misconception with really what they're looking for is that low cut. They want that tree to be uh, pruned down to a low structure so that they get a low scaffolding head that they can do most of their, of their work. They're pruning, they're thinning, they're harvest from standing on the ground. The, the bigger the tree, when you plant it, the growth is going to go straight up from that point. And now, now you are in the second or third year, if you haven't restructured the scaffolding or the scaffolding point on that tree in the third or fourth year, now you have a tree that's already too big. And so you want to make sure that you're choosing that size. I want a seven and a half foot tree. So I'm going to make my first cut at 24 inches. I'm going to grow that structure out into midsummer. Now I've got another two or three feet of new growth. And during that midsummer first year, I'm going to take that growth in half again and then allow that next flush of growth to come out. So by the end of the first season or the second season, I now have a tree that's somewhere between four and five and six feet. I have a low scaffolding structure that I can easily work with. I have developed fruiting wood that I can start to harvest from the ground and do my work from the ground. And I'm growing that tree into a structure that will be manageable for me into the future. Now, going forward, you're going to accept the responsibility of keeping that tree pruned to your chosen size. So if I go out and stand next to my Santa Rosa plum tree and put my hand up in the air uh, about this time of the summer, I'm going to take the tree out at that size, seven and a half or, or eight feet. 
-hmm. and allow one more little flush of growth through the fall. And that's going to be my total fruiting structure for the next year. Let's go back to planting the tree. If we plant a tree with too much top growth and not enough root support, what happens? Well, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to get a very weak first season's growth, which means that you may get two, three, four inches of, of growth. You're going to get a lot of twig dieback if you haven't done a fair amount of, of reduction. So you're going to lose a fair amount of that scaffolding structure in the first year anyway. Or you may lose the whole tree. The, tr the root system may not have the ability or the stored nutrients or carbohydrates to be able to push out six feet of, of top growth. So what you're doing is you're, you're, you're making the tree's job for the spring and summer season easier. You're allowing it to do its work in a way where it can develop new root system and develop new structure at the same time. By not doing that reduction right up front, your uh, ability to grow that low scaffolding head, low branching fruiting structure is greatly reduced. So what oftentimes happens is even if the tree does survive, you get all that growth up, up top. And now within that first couple of years, you have a tree that's way too big to manage. So after spending two, three, four, five years growing that tree and realizing, hey, it's too big. Now you have to go back and do the same thing that you would have started with in the first year and regrow that low structure. So it's a, it's a total waste of time. You want to make sure that you're, you're doing that work up front, that you're mm -hmm. allowing that horticulturalist, professional nursery person to work with you on uh, establishing that low scaffolding structure in the first year, always. Yeah. Or we do it ourselves. Absolutely. But unfortunately, there is this intimidation. People are, like you said, intimidated by pruning. And I get those calls and, and emails all the time. It's like, well, I just planted this tree and I really don't know what to do. You know, it's a one-year tree and it's only uh, half of an inch in, in caliper and it's six feet tall. And I'm like, cut it back to, to 18 or 24 inches. And people freak out. They, right. they don't, they don't want to do that. They're totally intimidated by making that cut when that is by far the most important pruning decision you will ever make on that tree. Now, on the other hand, if you're buying a two-year tree, if you're buying a tree that's established in a container, then you want to work with that existing structure. You don't want to cut it back uh, to 18 inches and remove all that structure. So if you're buying a two-year tree or an established container tree, you want to look for trees that have a low scaffolding structure. And that's what you're going to work with. That's where you're going to, you're going to make that cut at two feet or two and a half feet, and you're going to leave three or four or five well-spaced, low scaffolding branches, and you're going to take two-thirds of that growth off the top. You heard it here, guys. Two-thirds of that growth off the top. Two-thirds. Really important. And we do this in the summertime, something called summertime pruning, right? Well, I, I wouldn't do anything that dramatic in your area in the summertime. Okay. That's, that's basically wintertime determining the structure of, of what my tree is going to do in the future. In the summertime, you're going to work on an established tree, a tree that's already growing in your landscape. And you're going to do that summer pruning to strictly achieve size control. You're going to want to make sure that you bring that tree back down to that size that's manageable for you and rejuvenate down to that size every summer going forward. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Tom. Greg, it's always a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. 
You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.